Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. James 4, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your, for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Paper on it and everything, and you're waiting for the doctor to come in. The doctor comes in, and he starts to ask you questions, right? And starts to analyze, and he takes a stethoscope, and he wants to listen to this, listen to that, look in your ears, look in your nose, look in your eyes, all this kind of stuff. And all the while, he's making notes. Because there's something bothering you, but you don't know what it is. 
So you go to the doctor. And the doctor all along saying what? Mm-hmm. 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 And you're thinking they're what? Oh, am I going to die? Am I going to die? What is it? What is it? Tell me. Just open up your mouth. Tell me something. So in the end, he says, yeah, okay. And so you say, what is it, doc? And he says, well, it's not good. It's exactly, it's not good. It's not, that's not good. You're suffering from a bad case of sarcotic epithemia and ophthalmologic epithemia. And really badly, you've got a bad case of elizonia bios. And you're, you're, what do you say, George? What's that? that? Am I going to die? And he says, yeah. (laughs) Sometime. Is it deadly? The answer is yes. Well, put it straight to me. What do I got? You got the lust of the flesh, you got the lust of the eyes, and you got the pride of life, and it's killing you. Sarcotic epithemia, lust of the flesh. You should know those words. We've been talking about them. Ophthalmologic epithemia, that's the lust of the eyes. And remember, the epithemia, epithemia isn't necessarily a negative word. It's a strong desire. But you're suffering from your strong desires of the flesh, and you're suffering from your strong desires of your eyes, and you're struffer, struggling from Elizonia bios, which is the pride of life, and you can read about those in 1 John chapter 2. Those are the three primary categories of sin. That's exactly what we've been talking about as we've gone through James' letter. James has been talking about how we struggle with these things, right? And so as we talked about the perfect law of liberty, transitioning then into the perfect way of wisdom, we've seen that our works will reveal what we really believe. That when we struggle with temptation, when we struggle with troublesome situations, that the reality is, and in perfect law of liberty, right, that those are all brought about by our wanton, if you would, epithemias. That we have strong passions, desires, but they're strong passions and desires for ourselves. So think about that as we then transition into this way of wisdom when we talk about the two different ways of wisdom, right? So as we went from the, the, the perfect way of wisdom, we talked about the worldly wisdom and the heavenly wisdom, and we saw in that worldly wisdom that it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. The father of lies is actually the one who gives that worldly wisdom. You feed your strong desires for the flesh, your strong desires of the eye. We'll talk about the pride of life today a little bit. But worldly wisdom, sensual, earthly, demonic wisdom, has everything to do with me. It doesn't have to do with God. Rather, heavenly wisdom is given by the Father of lights, who gives every good and perfect gift, right? We saw that Right at the very beginning, that's the theme of this whole thing, that God is the giver of every morally good gift and every perfect gift, perfect bestowment. So when we talk about heavenly wisdom, it's God who gives this, okay? And we see how it plays out with the evidence. This is a couple weeks ago, how you have the bitter envying and self-seeking in the heart. Down here, you have a good lifestyle, peaceable, that you're full of good fruits, you're willing to yield, right? And that all plays out now into what we've been looking at, that the fact that these two wisdoms are are in contradiction to each other. They're in conflict one another, right? And so we see the same concept given by Paul in 2 Corinthians 6. What is light to do with darkness? What is Christ to do with Belial? It has nothing to do. There's, there's no fellowship. There's no oneness. 
that goes on between Christ and, and Belial, between light and darkness. James then begins to give a, uh, a, a, a speech, if you would, against then the worldly wisdom and for heavenly wisdom. We saw then this polemic that he did um, against the, the worldly wisdom. Remember all this, okay? That he was like a lawyer presenting his case against it. You know, that you have, you, you have not, let me go back to what it says. It says, um, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your hedonistic pleasures, remember? So we talked about the hedonism, the selfish desire for selfish stuff. And so that's the, again, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. You desire things for yourself rather than the things of God. Whereas the prescription for heavenly wisdom then listed the 10 different things that if you want to um, have wisdom that comes from God, this is what the process that you need to go with, right? And the first thing you need to do is what? Submit to God. It literally means to bring yourself into subjugation to, uh, in, in subordination to God. You have to make the decision that you are going to subordinate yourself to God. In that, the statement then is that God is greater than you. Now, we may say that with our, with our mouths. We may think that in our brains. But with our choices in our lifestyle, we, we betray our heart. Because we put ourselves on the throne rather than God on the throne. And, and we, we want to declare that what we think and what we believe is, is greater than what God thinks and what, what, he th- what he knows. And so you come through this, submit to God, resist the devil, and then after that, then you're going to draw nigh to God, draw near to God, and he's going to what? Draw near to you, okay? God's promised he wants that, okay? Then when you do that, when you draw near to God and you see the holiness of God, when you're focused on the holiness of God, what's it going to lead you to? You're going to desire to clean your hands and purify your hearts because you're going to realize that God is a holy God. He's a pure God. And those who know that Jesus is going to come, right, and he's going to come in his purity and we're going to see him as he is, and those who believe that, 1 John chapter 3, are going to desire to be pure as he's pure. So we're going to have desire of clean hands and a pure heart and a soul that's not left unto idol. We're not going to swear falsely, Psalm 24, right? And then... We're going to realize then how putrid we are, and that's going to lead us to what? Lament, mourn, and weep. We're going to be crying, if you would, over our sinfulness. It kills me that I've been in this thing for 40 years, and I still struggle with sin. It just kills me. I would think I'd be perfect by now, but I'm what? I'm not. I'm still on the earth. It proves something. I'm still in a process of being equipped, transformed, changed by God into the image of God. One day, I will be taken up, and I will be in his presence. And when I'm taken up and I'm being in his presence, now whether through the rapture of the church or whether it's through death, either way, I'm taken up, right? And I'm going to be in his presence. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when I'm present with the Lord, I'm going to leave this earthly, sensual, demonic, if you would, concept of thinking, and I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be paid fully in his likeness. Isn't that kind of cool? I look forward to that day. I hope you do too. Okay. So, but in the end, he comes back then to what? So based upon all this, you need to what? Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of God. That's where we're going to get to today because we're going to start looking at applications of this heavenly wisdom. We're going to look at the will of the Lord, we're going to look at our treatment of others, and then we're going to look at a prayer of faith. Today, we're going to be talking about the will of the Lord, the will of Yahweh, okay? And so, um, so in this statement, real fast, as Chuck read, 
he read a much bigger portion than we're going to look at today, but we're going to look at it over the next two, today and next week, okay? But in, we're going to talk about a couple of those verses in chapter 5 that play into this. But I want you to, to look real quickly at this when we talk about the will of the Lord, because we'll talk about it in a moment. But for right now, as we go into it, that, um, again, James is a Jewish man writing unto a Jewish audience, right? And so when you look down at these verses, okay, um, so you have the will of the Lord, okay, and so we don't know whether that's Jesus or Yahweh at this moment, right? That's verse 15 of chapter 4. But if you come down into um, chapter 5 and you look to um, verse 4, and he says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of who? The Lord of Sabaoth, not Sabbath, Sabaoth. It's Yahweh Sabaoth, Yahweh of hosts, okay? And so these are direct statements back to, again, this is a Jewish man, okay, referring back to the, who the God of the Old Testament is, okay? And so then he says again, um, in the name of Yahweh, down in um, verse 10, um, oh, until verse 7, uh, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Again, we put that as Jesus, but if you remember right, from the Old Testament, there's multiple times, and I could go to, in my quiet time this morning, it was in Malachi, or I'm sorry, in Micah. And so, in Micah, it refers to how Yahweh is coming back to the earth, okay? And so, so the coming of the Lord is the coming of Yahweh. So, so, when he's talking about this, I think Jesus is Yahweh. There's no doubt in my mind, okay? And so, so, understand that when we're talking about the will of the Lord, it's the will of Yahweh, okay? So for the rest of this, and on your sermon note sheets, you have the title as the will of the Lord, but understand in my mind, the will of the Lord is the will of Yahweh. That's who we're talking about, okay? So as we look at this, beginning now in this, James is going to start off with um, a polemic, if you would, concept, a mockery right off the bat, okay? So he's going he's to bring these guys, and so take all the, the, um, the context, and now he comes into this, in verse 13, and he says, Come now, you who say, and that, that statement, the come now, is really a, um, a negative to them. Come now. He's going to say it again in, in verse 1 of chapter 5 when we get to the treatment of others. Come now. And so he says, come now, you who say, you're going to do these kind of things. And so he's, he's showing them right off the bat how foolish the statement is when we begin to say what we're going to do tomorrow and what we're going to do next week, and what we're going to do next month, what we're going to do next year. I remember when I was, um, I was a member of a, on a, on a, a missions organization, and um, one of the things they wanted me to do was put my five-year plan down. I want to look more like Jesus. You know, <laughs> what does that look like? I don't know, because five years from now, I'll know, but right now, I don't know what looking more like Jesus looks like for Bob. But they want to know, how big's your church going to be? Are you going to have a facility? Are you going to, I don't know. Why? Because James tells me not to say what's going to happen even next week. Because I don't know. Because there's a reality. And the reality is, we get to the second part, and it's the main part, the reality, and that is, man is finite. We are limited. We don't know a thing, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then what? Poof. It vanishes away. So what's the first part? Well, man is 
limited in their knowledge. Our knowledge is limited. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't even know what's going to happen five minutes from now. I mean, think about it. There have been pastors who have died in the middle of their messages. Now, wouldn't that be exciting, huh? Okay, not for me, for you. Well, I mean, it would be exciting for me because I'm absent with the body present of the Lord. You guys got to deal with the rest of it. So, uh, <laughs> isn't that kind of bad? I mean, if I died a heart attack right now, I'm out of it, you know, and I don't have to deal with the, the rest of it. You got to deal with it. And so, but we don't know what's going to happen. Even 30 seconds from now, even one second from now, life changes like that. Our knowledge is limited. So implications of that. Well, regarding boasting, and that's where this passage is going, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit later when we get to the arrogant boasting that's there. But regarding boasting about what's tomorrow, Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. So that's not saying you shouldn't make plans. But as we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about arrogant boasting. That's talking about, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. You know, one of the things I told God, or I didn't actually tell God, but when I said when I went to seminary, is that I would never seek to plant a church and work at the same time. I'd never try to plant a church and work at the same time. Now, for those of you who were there back in the beginning, right, I had five jobs at one time when I planted this church. Never tell God what you're not going to do. I think God sits up and goes, oh, man, that is too good. Hey, guys, let's work on this one. This guy needs just a little bit of humbling going on. Never tell God never. You just don't know what God has in store for you. And I can tell you, though, on my end of it, I wouldn't change it for the world. I saw God work in so many ways in the midst of that. God told me at the beginning, I don't have to give you money. I just have to meet your needs. At one time, we had, a, we had a pediatrician. They gave us free care for all, all of our kids. We had, a, we had a family doctor that gave free care to Marcia and I. And I had a dentist who wasn't part of the church or whatever, and the other ones weren't either, okay, who calls me out of the blue and says, hey, we've been praying about this, and the Lord put it on our heart that um, we ought to give free dental care to a family. And, and, and we thought of you guys. Would you consider taking free dental care? And I said, you know, I got seven kids, don't you? And he says, oh, yeah. And he starts, like, apologetically talking to me about, well, we're going to do it, you know, give two cleanings a year and that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, of course. I had a root canal done. It was free. I wasn't charged. I'm just telling you, God can do amazing things. So when you tell God you're not going to do something because you're worried about what, what that might bring, don't worry, because God has got something better for you on the other side, right? So, so don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what a day will bring, right? Second thing, regarding worrying then, okay? Because we worry about tomorrow, don't we? That's the whole lot of our thoughts about tomorrow. It's not necessarily the, the gloating part, but for, moni, for many people, it's really the worrying part. It's the other side of it. They're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. They're worried about what they're going to do this afternoon. They're worried about what they're going to do next. Are we going to have the money to pay for the bills? They worry, 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 right? But Matthew, Jesus says in the, uh, Matthew records Jesus saying, he says, don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow because that's what the what? 
the Gentiles do. And that reference is, that's the, what people do who don't know God. They don't know how God provides. But God, God is able to close the, 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 the flowers, the lilies of the field. He's able to take care of the sparrows. And if he does that, will he not so do so much more for you? So stop worrying. Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and then what? All these things will be added unto you. And God showed me that over and over and over and over and over again. When God says, I can provide your need, he really means he can provide your needs, right? So my knowledge is limited. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in the stock market. Make sense? And, and, and I felt like the Lord encouraged me years ago to start putting money for retirement. I don't have a whole lot, but he's my retirement, right? And I watched how that just kind of multiplied amazingly. But then I've also watched how it what? <laughs> Went the other way, you know? But that's okay. My trust isn't in Wall Street. My trust is in who? Is in God. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know whether there's going to be another Black Monday. If you guys who ever put money in the stock market, you understand what a Black Monday is, right? That's okay. Honestly, our nation is so close to the brink. I don't mean to make you worry too much here, okay? It's so close to the brink of financial ruin that we're going to become like Greece or Argentina with the inflation that no matter how much money you have anyway, it's going to be what? It's going to be meaningless anyway, okay? Because God wants you to trust what? In him, not in money, right? So, so our knowledge is limited, okay? We'll come back to God in a moment. Some illustrations. The Tower of Babel, real quick. Those people said what? Come, let's, let's build. Let's make bricks. We're going to build this tower going on. Yahweh, at the same time, as you can read the passage, Yahweh, at the same time, laughs at him and says what? In his Godhead, he says, come, let's go down in. Confuse their languages. They had a plan. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make this... We're going to make this tower. It's going to reach into the heavens. We're going to become all awesome and mighty. And God says, yeah, right. Watch this. Okay? Elisha and the four, four lepers. That's the time when you read about the, um, the, the Syrian army. They heard. They heard that, that they were being attacked by, by um, Egypt and, and, and the um, Ethiopians. And they what? And they fled. Well, what was going on in Samaria at the same time? They were sieging Samaria. And so in Samaria, they had this massive uh, famine going on where, I won't tell you how bad it was, but they were going to eat each other, okay? Makes sense that it was that bad, okay? And so, so all this is going on. And in the midst of this, Elisha, why he's in the middle of Samaria, I don't know. But he's there in Samaria, and he makes the prediction, he makes the prophecy, at this time tomorrow, at this time tomorrow, there's going to be so overabundance of, of, of bread and everything that it's, it's going to be nuts. And so the... The official, the king's official, mocks him, mocks God, because they don't believe in Yahweh, right? And so they, he mocks the prophet of, of Yahweh, and he says, ah, you know, there's no way this could happen. And so Elijah says, yeah, you'll believe it tomorrow when you're trampled. And so what happens? Well, at the same time, there's four lepers who want to come into the city. They're not going to let them into the city because they're lepers. They say, well, we might as well go to the Assyrian camp, because at least if we go to the Assyrian camp, they may be merciful and give us some food. And if they don't give us food, they're going to kill us, right? So at least we'll be out of our, our misery. One, one way or the other, we're out of our misery. So they go to the Assyrian camp, and what do they find? They find the Assyrian camp 
empty. And they are gluttoning. They're having a feast. When all of a sudden what? The Holy Spirit convicts them. Now, I know that's the Old Testament. And there's no Holy Spirit. There's a Holy Spirit, right? Their conscience is convicting them. There's the Holy Spirit convicting them, telling them, look, it's not right for you guys to be sitting here gluttoning. You need to go tell everybody else. So they go to the city, and they tell everybody, right? And the king sends some officials out to check to see if they're right. They were right. They go back. They tell everybody, and what happens? A stampede going out to the Assyrian camp, and who gets trampled? The king's official who said it wouldn't happen. Never say... Never, okay? Yeah, at least the Lord didn't trample me, totally, okay? The foolish man in his barn. This comes from the book of Luke, right? This is the guy who had so much increase from his, from his farm that instead of giving it to the poor like he's told to do in the law, he decides he's going to build a bigger barn. He's going to build a bigger silo so that he has more for himself. And remember what Jesus says that God's response to that is? Say it out louder. You fool. Go ahead now. Tonight your life will be taken from you. You fool. You're thinking foolishly. Through all these, people are thinking foolishly. Thinking that they are controlling the future. Rather than following the clear word of God, they're going to do things their own way. God blesses those who follow his truth. And immediately he resists those who resist him. Does that make sense? All right, so our knowledge is limited, our days are limited. Psalm 39, verse 4 through 6, Yahweh, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but a vapor. Sila. Surely, every man walks about like a shadow. Surely, they are busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. What does the word sila mean? Meditate on this. Stop. Think about what you just heard. So let's read that again. Yahweh, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. My age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best is but a a vapor. I don't know how old you are. Do you realize that you're just a, a breath away from meeting the maker? I imagine Job's kids weren't thinking about they were getting ready to meet their maker when they were partying that day. There have been people in the middle of a storm who the tornado comes and and they die. You don't know how it's going to play out. So this isn't like a scare tactic. This is just a reality tactic. I don't know how it is. In fact, then we're told in Psalm 90, the days of our lives are 70, and if by reason of strength they are 80, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I'm 62. I'm halfway to 63. The days of man are 70. And if by strength 
80. Now, I know, we got technology today, and, and we can get up into the 90s. Okay. So that means maybe push it. I got 30 years. Two-thirds of my life at best. If I live a normal lifespan according to today's technology, two-thirds of my life is gone. But if the Bible is true, and it is, then the reality is I've got 8 to 18 years left. How does that make you feel? Now that those of you who are older, it makes you feel like really bad, doesn't it? Those of you who are younger, you're thinking, ah, man, you're old anyway. It's like, I don't even believe you're even out of the grave right now. I used to think of that just yesterday. That's how fast it goes. That's how fast it goes. I still feel like an 18-year-old. Yeah? I mean, you older ones, you get it, right? You're like, how did this 18-year-old get stuck in this old body? I start to believe in all those sci-fi things. Like, it was just yesterday. I was 18, and now all of a sudden, look at me. There's wisdom. There's wisdom that comes from knowing that at any moment, you can meet your maker. Think about it. When you sin, whether you're on your bed devising evil, and it's all in your brain, or whether you are doing whatever you shouldn't do, and for him who knows to do good and doesn't, it's sin unto him, right? Okay? And so we'll get there. Are you really thinking, before I'm done doing this act, I might die and meet God? Or have you deceived yourself, thinking that you're invincible, and that you'll never have to stand before God as the judge? That's kind of how we act. Otherwise, if, if we knew that any moment I could die and I could meet God, it would change how we think. It changed how we act. My days are limited. Instead, I ought to be focusing on the sovereignty of God. I ought to be able to say, and if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Why? Because the counsel of God is infinite. Okay, at this point, I want to pass these out. So if we can have that mic ready, okay? Who wants to take Proverbs 16.1? Okay, let's tell you what. We got more people on this side. We're going to come down this side. I'm going to start from the front. Proverbs 16.1. There'll be Anna. Okay, Proverbs 16.9. So I'm going to move my way back. Noah. Uh, Kaylee Rain, Proverbs 19.21. Okay, okay. Shireen, Proverbs 20.24. Okay, Debbie, Proverbs 21.1. Coming back. Anybody? I need two more. Okay, uh, Ted, Proverbs 21.30, Christina, Pro, uh, Isaiah 55, 8-11. You got the long one, okay? All right, so let's go read those, and I'm not going to talk. We'll just read it through them all right now. The preparations of the heart belong to man. Wait, can I stop you one moment? Can you say the reference and then read it for us? Okay. Proverbs 16.1. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Okay, and I take back Noah. Proverbs 16.9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19.1, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Is that 19.21? Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That's better. Proverbs twenty twenty four. a man's steps are directed by the Lord, 
How then can anyone understand his own way? Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Amen. Two, two rows back. Proverbs 21, 30. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. We could do so many other verses. We're going to get some illustrations in a moment here. But we can do so many other verses. But the reality is, bring all those together, you can think anything you want to think about tomorrow. You can plan anything you want to plan for tomorrow. But in the end, what God wills is what's going to happen. God, in his permissive will, may allow you to do what you had planned to do. But God, in his sovereignty, may override you. It's the king who is all sovereign over the land and says, everybody in my domain today will eat spaghetti. And you say... Yay, but some of you say, I don't like spaghetti. I'm not eating spaghetti. And so there's no spaghetti in your house because you don't like spaghetti. You like spam. I don't know why, but you do. And, and maybe you're going to have some Hawaiian barbecue with it. I don't know. Anyways, and so you, you're going you're gonna to eat whatever you're going to eat, and you say, no, 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 no. But as you go to the closet, because God says, the king says, today everybody's going to have spaghetti for dinner, right? And as you go to your closet to get your spam, what do you find? Spaghetti noodles. How did they get there? I didn't put them there. And then you go to get the, the sauce for your barbecue, and you, all you find is prego. <laughs> you, you find the, you, it could be ragu. I don't really care. Anyways, you find your spaghetti sauce, right? And everywhere you look, there's got, got to be some spam someplace. There's got to be this someplace. But everywhere you look, all you find is spaghetti noodles and ragu sauce or prego, right? Or barzilia or whatever. What's mommy get? Barzilla? Anyways, some other one. Was it Barilla? Barilla. Barilla. Anyways, and so wherever you go, that's what's going to happen because God is what? Sovereign. And when he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. When he sends forth his word, not just the Bible, which is true, because it's not just because it's this, but it contains what? His word. And so where there's prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet, what do you know? It's coming. That's exactly right. It's still coming. It's going to happen just as God declares it's going to happen. And so we're told by Peter that in the last days they're going to be mocking us. And they're going to say what? Ah, where is this coming? You've always been saying this. But if God says it, it's true 
You can tank it to the bank. In Psalm 89, when he talked to, to, um, about the covenant that he made with David, he says, I will not change nor will I alter the thing that has gone out of my mouth. So you can make all the plans you want, but in the end, the counsel of God, it's going to stand. So what do we know? So we have this guy named Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God, right? And God said that Jonah needed to go to Nineveh. But Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because they, they were the Syrians. They were the enemies of God. And he didn't want the Assyrians to repent. He wanted to see the Assyrians destroyed. And so he says, no, God, I'm not going to go there. Rather, I'm going to go to Tarshish. Now, if you know anything about Tarshish, it's the further opposite direction than Nineveh. God says, go east. He says, no, I'm going west. And so he goes and he gets on a boat to go across the Mediterranean Sea to go to Tarshish, which is over by Spain. Okay? The, um, it, um, what's the name of the uh, Iberian Peninsula? Okay? So that's where he's heading. He's going as far away as he can, right? So what does God do? Yahweh prepares a storm, right, that stops the boat. Dead stop. They start getting everything off the boat, trying to think that they can continue to move on. Jonah's not making a comment. He's letting these people deal with his sin. Think about that. He's not making any comments. People are, people are dealing with the consequence of Jonah's sin. People are losing their, their freight because the, the sailors are throwing it off the boat. He's, Jonah's asleep. I'm just saying, yeah, he's, just, he's ignoring the whole process, right? And so they're throwing it off. They still can't do it. They come down, they wake him up. They say, you need to cry out to your God, right? And so he still knows why it is, right? And so they get to this point where, where they finally get to the point where they, they're gonna, they talk about it, they cast the lots, it comes to Jonah. Jonah says, yeah, it's all because of me. What? You knew this. Yes, I knew it. And it's because I serve the God of the land and the sea and da-da-da-da-da. And so you need to throw me over the, off the boat, okay? So he throw, they throw him off the boat, and God has what? He's prepared a fish. Now, he could have just killed him. He could have sent another prophet. But God was working through the prophet. He was working in the prophet. He was working on the prophet. You get it? This is more than just Nineveh going on here. It was all about this prophet too. Okay? So God could have just said, I'll get another prophet. Kill Jonah. Move on. He doesn't do that. He puts him in a fish, the belly of the whale, right? And from the belly of the whale, Jonah cries out, right? And, and he, he cries out to God. He says, all right, I'll do it. And so he jet, jettisons Jonah from the from the fish, right, whether it comes out the whale this way or whether it's a fish and it that way. But Jonah comes out, right? And then God comes to Jonah a second time and says, what? Go. So Jonah does what? He goes. He goes and he does what God has called him to do. But even still there, he's still having an issue, right? And so what does God do? He... No, 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 no. Because Nineveh is so far inland, there's no way. Yeah, yeah. He just spits him on. And he calls him a second time, John. Uh, Jonah chapter 3. He calls him a second time, and so Jonah goes. And so, yeah, that fish would have had gone a whole long up the river and everything to get to Nineveh. And so, um, yeah, he would have gone all the way around Africa because the Suez Canal wasn't done yet and, and, and come back up. So, no, he spits him up on the land, and so Nine and Jonah has to obey. It's a good question because a lot of times people th don't think that, that he spits him out right near Nineveh. Yeah, it does. Exactly right. But no, he still has to travel to Nineveh now. And uh, so anyways... So God's still preparing him, right? Because he's still fighting against him. The point is, don't tell God what? No. If God says you're going to do it, guess what? You're going to do it, okay? I mean, it's easier if you just obey God than fight against God, okay? 
What about Nebuchadnezzar? Now, this is kind of fun because Nebuchadnezzar is not a, an Israeli. He's not, a, he's not a Jew. And he's not a prophet. He's a pagan king. In fact, he's the most powerful pagan king that there was, right? There are, in the ancient world, seven wonders. One of those wonders was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar built, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar is looking over his Hanging Gardens, right? And he's declaring what? Oh, isn't this Babylon great that I have built all by myself? Well, that was a bad moment because earlier, just before that, he had had a dream. And he had a dream, and he had Daniel come and interpret. And Daniel says, oh, I hope this is for your enemies, not for you. Because the tree's going to be cut down. You're the tree. And there's going to be a band put around it so that it remains, so it, it doesn't die. It's going to remain. But, but that tree's going to be put out into the field for, for seven years until um, he knows who the true God is. Well, Nebuchadnezzar makes that proclamation about how great and glorious he is. And in that very moment, we're told that he suffered from lycanthropy. You say, what's lycanthropy? It's when you think you are an animal. So commonly, a werewolf is suffering from lycanthropy. Lycos is the wolf, anthropos man, a wolf man. But lycanthropy is then the, the thing of, that you are acting like an animal. You think you're an animal. We excuse that today by, uh, by kids' choices. They want to identify lycanthropy, like lycoanthropy, whatever, you get it, lycanthropy, okay? And we excuse them. We say, oh, well, they have the right to be that. They can be a cat. They can be a dog. Really? Biblically, that was a curse. Think about that. And so he was out for seven years eating grass and having the dew fall on his, his, uh, his hair and his, and his fingernails weren't being clipped and they were becoming like claws, talons. And at the end of seven years, God gave him a clear mind. And in his clear mind, he realized what? I spoke foolishly against the Most High God. And he gave glory. So we sing that, right? I thought it good to declare the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Right? That was written by Nebuchadnezzar, spoken by Nebuchadnezzar, after he understood the will of Yahweh. After he understood the will of Yahweh. When he submitted to that. And he gave glory to God. God is sovereign. Rather than us saying, here's what we, we think we're going to do, rather we ought to be saying, if the Lord wills, this is what I'd like to do. This is what I'm making plans to do. But it's Jesus in the garden, right? Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, I mean, I've lived this thing out, and it's getting pretty tough right now in the flesh. Think about that. He was a real man. He was really God. But he had real flesh. And so Jesus was troubled in every way, such as you are, yet without sin. And while he's there in the garden, he's sweating as it was, drops of blood, and he's crying out to the Father, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me. Just like you would, just like I would. I'm not, I mean, I am not man enough to stand up to this. I'm about ready to fall. Nevertheless, he says, though, not my will, but your will be done.
So we get to the summary. James now gives them this accusation coming at them and says, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, he doesn't say all boasting is evil. Remember when we talked about epithemia, we talked about it's translated like lust, right? You're drawn away of your own lust. Really, that's a bad, bad concept. I rarely would prefer if they put strong desires because not all epithemia is evil. You can have a strong desire, and we saw this when we went through it. You can have a strong desire for God, and that's a good thing. So you ought to be lusting after God rather than lusting after the things of the world. It's, the negative is we lust after the things of the world, the flesh, the eyes, that kind of stuff, rather than for the things of God. Same way, boasting, glorying in and of itself is not wrong, especially if you're glorying in God, in the Lord. That's right. But we're told in um, Ephesians chapter 2, um, verse 8 and 9, it says, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. So in that context, what are the people boasting about? In that verse, what are they boasting about? Their works, what they did. So I remember the day when Woody came to me. This is back in 84... Yeah, 1984. And, and Woody asked me if I died, if I was going to go to heaven. Of course I'm going to heaven. And so then he asked me the question, next question, and that was, why? Why? Why, why should you go to heaven? My answer was, I made, I've been a good person. I mean, I've been to church almost every Sunday of my life. I mean, when it, you, I, I'm not lying. I mean, this is the same story I've given for 40 years, okay? And that is, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and when it snowed and when it iced, my dad, we walked uphill both ways, you know, up and down, up and down. We, we, we walked, and we, we were better than the postal service, you know? I mean, it didn't matter. Rain, snow, sleet, you know, we got there. We were there. And my dad was a treasurer, and I was active in the youth group, and, and I actually participated in this, and I was the, the usher of the church, and I, 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 right? I was the banner boy of boasting. So when you read that, I means not of works, lest any man should boast. Just picture Bob. That was Bob. That, that verse, if for nobody else, that verse was written for Bob. Because Bob was all about himself. Sadly, Bob still struggles with that Elizonia bios, that pride of life. I mean, I remember in the early days of ministry, I knew I struggled with lust of the flesh. That was pretty simple. But I didn't think I struggled with pride. Again, put that out to God. It's... Your father, your Abba, your daddy, loves you too much to let you get away with deceiving yourself and your delusions of grandeur, thinking that you're so righteous. He will show you your need for his grace. Peter says, his, last very, his very last statement to the church in 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever." Amen. How do you grow in grace? When you got saved, how much grace did you get? You got it all. You know, theologically, you say, I got it all. I got it all. Now, how do you grow in it? How do you grow in something that you already got it all? 
I mean, if you got it all, there ain't no more to get. How do you grow? By growing in his knowledge. The more you know God, the more you know how holy he is. The more you understand lying lips are an abomination to him. The more you understand how holy he is, the more you realize how putrid and sinful you are. The more you realize how holy he is and how putrid and sinful you are, the more you realize how great his grace is to you. Because he's given you something you don't deserve. And you never, ever will deserve. That's what grace is. Romans 5, verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. We glory in tribulations. That's our word. We boast in tribulations. Because we know the glory of God, we boast in the tribulations that he allows us to work through. Does that kind of ring of James chapter 1 again? Brethren, count it all what? Joy when you fall into myriads of troublesome situations, trials, tribulations, temptations. Why? Because you know the trying, the assaying of your faith worketh patience. And patience, when it has its perfect work, right? God is doing something. And so if you want to boast in something, boast in the grace of God. Boast in the privilege that you have to suffer for the name of Jesus. This is consistent with all the biblical writers. This isn't boasting in your athletic abilities. This isn't boasting in your acting abilities. This isn't boasting in your singing abilities. This isn't boasting in your oratory skills. This is boasting in what your father has done and what your father is allowing you to go through. Knowing that the troubling, the tribulations, the, the pressure situations that you're going through, he's using them in your life to perfect you to the image of his son. And so, when I drove truck, I was joking about this earlier, people ask, how you are? You know, I'm, I'm great. I tell them I'm great. If I, could be any, if I was any better, I'd be dead. You can't be that bad. Oh, no, it's that great. You're not listening. But if it was any better, I'd be dead. That's what I want to boast in. I want to boast in my God who's going to perfect me. I want to boast in my God who is perfecting me. Does that make sense? The glory has got to go to him. So, boasting. But it's boasting in your arrogance. That's our word, elazonia, elazonia bios from 1 John chapter 2. The pride of life. It's all about you. It's your arrogant pride. It's all about me. I know everything. Just ask me. Well, that's the whole concept he's saying. It's like, no, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know anything. And the more you think you know, the more you really don't know. And so that's the humble yourself, right, in the sight of God, right? So submit yourself to God, resist the devil. So bring yourself into subordination to the will of God. 
humble yourself before God. That's exactly where I need to be. I need to be at this part where I realize I don't know anything, but God knows everything. And so instead of bragging and boasting about myself, I need to brag and boast about God. So in the end, the applications, three from this passage. So to him who knows to do good and does not do it, what? It is sin. That's something that you know. You're limited in your knowledge. But if God's declared something, then you what? You know it. Okay? So here's knowledge. You want knowledge? You want to have something to stand on? Here's something to stand on, James is saying. If you know to do good and you don't do it, it's what? It's sin. Don't quit playing the game. Quit, quit, quit trying to act like it doesn't happen that way. The book of Romans tells me, Romans 14, that if you doubt, you sin. If you doubt whether it's, it's actually something you should do, and Romans 14 actually puts it even further, that if you do something that causes your brother to stumble, it's sin. So if you know it's wrong, or you think it's wrong, and you do it anyway, it's what? It's sin. Not just sin to you. Well, it is sin to you, but, it, it, but it's sin, period, to you. And so, so, all right, good news club, teachers. What is sin? It's anything that I think, say, or do that displeases God. Anything I think, say, or do that displeases God. So we work in the kids every week. Okay, we want them to understand what sin is. We need to understand what sin is. Make it a little bit easier for us. Sin is when you disobey God. God says, don't do that. And you what? And you do it. God says, do this. And you don't do it. We like to think about the thou shalt nots, but God, there's a whole lot of thou shalts, and we don't do it. He tells us to pray without ceasing. He tells us not to be anxious, but with thanksgiving, present it to him. Those are positives. Make sense? But we struggle with those, okay? So the doing of good, okay? Secondly, it's the, uh, the coming of the Lord, chapter 5, verse 8, okay? Something else that we know. I go, I got to get back to James. Sorry. All right, verse 8. It says, I'm going to verse start 7. Therefore, be patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Also, you be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So what do you think the coming of the Lord is for in that context? We're going to talk about this more next week. But looking at that context, why is he warning them about the coming of the Lord? Say it louder. Judgment. Judgment is coming. The judge is coming. Remember, that's how we ended last week about not saying anything about speaking evil about somebody else and not because we wound up judging him and we become a judge of the law. But there is one lawgiver, and that's the idea of a judge, right? There's one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? There is a judge who's coming. How does all this play out? You're finite. He's sovereign. So you seek to obey. Secondly, remember there's a what? A judgment day coming. It's not just for unbelievers. Second Corinthians five says that believers are going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. Okay, and we're going to give an account. Finally, the taking of oaths. 
chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or earth or any other earth, with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. I don't know what's going to happen later on. I, my kids, I learned this a long time ago, okay? And it's really been impactful to me as far as this. I hate to make promises for anything for this reason. I mean, the Lord, the Lord has taught me never to say never or never to say, I, you know, that it's going to happen, okay? Because he loves to be able to show me that I'm not God. So can we do this? I don't know. Maybe. We'll make, our, we'll make an endeavor to do that, but I'm not going to say, promise you, we're going to do this. Because I don't know what's going to happen between now and this evening. You know, I don't, I mean, I'd love to play, have a family night, you know, so we can have, we can plan the third Friday of every month is our, is our family birthday night. Okay, we've just set it up so that it's easy because we have so many kids and so many grandkids now and all this kind of stuff. So third Friday night is family birthday night. So whoever can come is going to come and we'll celebrate whoever's birthday is during that month. Okay? But the reality is we never know what. If we're really going to happen. If we're really going to have it. So we put it on the calendar. But I can't promise you that next week we're going to have that. All I know is... We'll try to plan as best as we can for our house, and we'll kind of put together who's going to bring what. Just the same thing as Thanksgiving coming up, right? You know, you can try to plan people who are going to come to your house, and you can try to plan who's going to bring what. But in the end, so-and-so may get COVID. <gasps> I didn't say that. Oh, no, anyways, they may get sick. Whatever. And all of a sudden, what? They can't come. But they're bringing the turkey. Well, I guess we're having spam. <laughs> We're having spaghetti. That's exactly right. Good job. That's exactly. We're going to have spaghetti. That's a good Italian Thanksgiving, huh? Anyways, so that's exactly right. We don't know. So don't take oaths. This is a hard thing. Do you realize how many people take an oath to love, to honor, to cherish until death do them part? In richness and in poorness, in health and sickness, in a minute somebody burps wrong, the oath means nothing. It means something to God. We don't have time to go into oaths. But in the end then, which way of wisdom are you following? Do you seek God's guidance for, um, for your future plans, or are you in charge? Are you frustrated when things do not go the way that you want them to go? Are you anxious then about what might happen tomorrow? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for allowing us to know that you are the same yesterday as you are today and you will be forever. And that knowing that, Lord, knowing how you have interacted with Israel and how you interacted with the early church, yesterday helps me to know how you will interact with me today and how tomorrow probably will happen. But yet, Lord, I don't know the specific details of today and tomorrow. They're all future. They're all in your hands. And so, God, I give you my future, and I pray that these here are giving you their future as well. That whatever your will is for my life, Lord, Lord, I want to follow it. 
I know that I fight against you, and I'm sorry for that. But Father, I desire for you to be magnified and to be glorified in what I say and what I do. I desire for you to be glorified in this assembly, in my family, in my extended family. And yet I can only do so much. So Lord, help me to submit myself to you, to resist the devil. Help me to draw near to you. Help me to have desire to have clean hands and a pure heart. Help me to, to weep, to mourn, to lament over the sin that's in my life. And to humble myself before you. And Lord, allow that then to be played out in my life. Help me to plan. Help me to be like the ants, go to the all sluggard and consider her way. Help me to, to do that. But yet, Lord, acknowledge the fact that you're the one who's going to guide and direct each step of the way. Lord, as we look toward a new facility here, Lord, we want your will, not our own. We don't want to just say something with our mouths and then do something with our hands differently. So, Yahweh, we give it to you. We give you all the future and ask that you would just give us guidance, help us to have discretion and understanding, discernment, Lord, that we may follow your path and to glorify your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.